Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Charlie, the big meet is right around the corner. SBC is in two weeks. I'm Charlie McGee, and also around the corner, my New Orleans Saints redemption game over the Vikings. Hey, that's right. The rematch of the Minneapolis Miracle game takes place tomorrow night, and we'll talk more about it later. All right, boys and girls, today I'm joined by my friend and passionate Saints and Pelicans fan, Mr. Charlie McGee. On today's episode, the Rockets' trade proposal, the Rockets' brawl with the Lakers, and the Rockets' bad start. But don't worry, this episode is not all about the Rockets. We begin today with last night's 18-inning thriller between the Red Sox and the Dodgers. Given how well Walker Buehler pitched, going seven innings, giving up just two hits and no runs, while striking out seven, people would think it would have ended earlier. But no, Jackie Bradley Jr. hit a tying home run off Kenley Jansen in the eighth, and the Red Sox actually took the lead in the 13th and had a chance to win it with two outs, but a throwing error by second baseman Ian Kinsler allowed the Dodgers to tie it, and in the 18th, Dodgers slugger Max Muncy hit a walk-off home run to cut the deficits to to one Given what happened last night, Charlie, who do you consider the favorites to win it all at this point? So, before this game, I was thinking the Red Sox were going to smash the Dodgers. Um, I thought maybe the Dodgers were going to win Game 3, and it was going to be a five-game series. But after a game like that, where it goes 18 innings and this back and forth, I can very much see the Dodgers taking this momentum and making this a real series. But my pick is still the Red Sox because of their incredible hitting. Because their whole lineup, 1 through 9, is so dangerous. As you see with Jackie Bradley Jr., he's at the bottom, towards the bottom of the order. He goes in, hits a massive home run. He also destroyed the Astros the same way. Nine RBIs. Exactly. Three hits and nine RBIs. It's ridiculous. So, it's tough, and I think it's going to be more of a series. I'm going to call it six or seven games, but I don't see the Red Sox losing this year. Okay, I'm going to make a point, because you said the Dodgers, we were talking about this earlier, the Dodgers had momentum now. I'm going to remind you of the fact that the Red Sox were without J.D. Martinez for the last nine innings last night. I mean, I know he's had that bad ankle, but he's still a great hitter. I mean, he proved it while they were in Boston. Andrew Benintendi didn't play last time. I mean, I don't know what Alex Cora's plan was behind that. He's back in the lineup. He's back in the lineup tonight. But I'm a, the thing I blame about the Red, I don't blame Ian Kinsler because that was a horrible throw. Part of me blames Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts, the top two hitters in the Red Sox lineup. They were a combined 0 for 15. Yes. You cannot have that from your top two hitters in one of the biggest games of the year. 0 for 15. Go to the bench for a while. Drink some water. I don't even. I don't care. Become the water boy like uh, Bobby Boucher. And I'm uh, <laughs> had to throw in the Adam Chandler reference there. And I'm, uh, the Red Sox got hosed multiple times last night. So the tying run in the bottom thirteenth was Max Muncy, who drew a walk to lead off the inning. I watched. So we were up in Austin earlier today. I watched the highlights on the bus ride back. He checked his swing. He he, he checked his swing, but he definitely went around. But the third base, um, the third base umpire. I don't know who it was. Said he said he did not go around and gave gave him the free pass. I know he have already retired the next two hitters, but if Muncy is stri- but if Muncy strikes out, Puig never comes up. Kinsler never throws that error. Sox are up three nothing. So it's not entirely on the Red Sox hitters. You got to give some of the blame to the umpires as well. That's fair. And you also brought up a good point about you brought up Eddie Aldi. He pitched. He really he pitched a great game. Six innings, one run. Can't ask him to do much better than that. Uh, I mean, he's not available tonight, so 
that's the thing. So the question is, how how much is that game going to hurt Boston? Because, you know, both teams obviously tax their bullpen. But for Boston to pull out, you know, the beast that Evialdi, Evialdi has been this postseason, and he pitched incredible. But now that means he's not available for tonight for sure. And, you know, we'll see how he is for the next game after the time. No, but you made an interesting point about taxing the bullpen. Uh, tonight's starter, Eduardo Rodriguez, got one out last night, struck out Jock Peterson, and let's see, Joe Kelly only threw one inning, Matt Barnes only threw one, yeah. Brazier only threw one, David Price had to record two outs, Heath Embry got three outs, Craig Kimberly only got four, so the only guy in the Brit Sox bullpen that's really, really taxed is Nathan Evaldi and, and Rick Porcello, neither of them are available tonight, so I really don't think the Sox bullpen is all that taxed. My worry is how long is Rodriguez going to be able to go? Oh. How long? It's been, it's been a while since he started a game. You figure so, at least three innings. You'd figure at least three innings. Cause at least. They need him to go at least three, I think. Absolutely. But, yeah, this is going to be... Uh, it's going to be an exciting this, game. First pitch exactly. is in less than an hour. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I really am. Uh, I mean, how... Alright, before we move on, how late did you stay up last night? So, oh, I went to bed... Uh, eighth inning of that game, and before Jansen came in. Yes. Oh no, I saw Jansen pitch. I saw Jackie Bradley Jr.'s homer. You saw Jackie's homer. And then I went upstairs, and went to sleep. Uh, you know, because I just gave me too many flashbacks to him tearing up the Astros. <laughs> but anyways, I was very surprised that Jansen gave up that homer because Jansen is Jansen. Is Kenley Kenley Jansen? I mean, he's a beast. He's a, he's a lockdown pitcher, and I thought it was a good move by Dave Roberts to go to him there because even if he only gets through the eighth, I thought that was going to be really big for the Red Sox. And I mean, you could have gone to Kershaw in the ninth if he had gotten through that eighth. Exactly, exactly. And so, anyways, I was surprised, but you know, Red Sox are a great team. So right. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. All right, so I I went to bed after the ninth inning. It was tied 1-1, one to one, and I woke up this morning early because we obviously had to get to Austin for the cross-country meet, uh-huh. and I see the score was 3-2 to two in 18 innings. I wasn't really angry. I was like, wow, but when I watched the, when I watched the highlights coming back because I slept on the way up, that was angry. That was, yes. or disappointment is the word I would use. That's how I felt with the Astros all last series, so welcome, welcome to our lives. Yay, well, we still got a 2-1 lead. I'm not, I'm not worried yet. That's true, and uh, another thing is that the Red Sox is, like you said, their bullpen, a lot of guys only pitched one inning. Like, Kimber only pitched one inning, and so, although he has been shaky, he did look better. Oh, I mean, he's looked great times. ever since game four, when he exactly. walked the bases loaded for Air Benny. Yeah, don't tell me, don't, don't, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Anyways, so, well. If any game comes close to last night's thriller, it's going to be a classic World Series. Switch gears a little bit here. Two NBA teams that many had going far before the season. I know you did. Oh, you know I did. And the Rockets are off to bad starts. With Houston sitting at 1-4 and and OKC sitting at 0-4, Houston's win came over the Lakers in LA. More about that later. And OKC had a shot to win at home against Boston, but blew a 16-point halftime lead. Yeah, they did. Liam, at this point in time, are you more concerned about OKC or Houston? I mean, it's hard not to be concerned about both of these teams because 
Uh, on the first episode of this podcast, my friend Michael McGinnis called Russell Westbrook the most overrated player in the NBA, and so far he's proven himself correct, because the Thunder, I'm 0-2 with him in the lineup. I know they had two games without him, they're still 0-2 with him, and don't give me the injury excuse that the Houston Rockets have been without James Harden for a while, or that Chris Paul got suspended. We'll talk more about that later. So, I'm, uh, I really think it's ridiculous that both of these teams are off to such bad starts, but... I am more worried about the Rockets at this point because they're coming off a 65-win season in which they were a hurt, either a hurt hand, either a healthy hamstring or a good second half away from making the NBA Finals and more than likely winning that NBA Finals. So it's hard not to be worried about the Rockets. That's the reason why I'm much more worried about the Rockets at this point in time. I believe OKC is still meshing with Dennis Schroeder, so I'm going with Houston. Okay, that's a very fair point. Now... I disagree with you, though. I'm more concerned about OKC. Because the Rockets, Chris Paul's missed two games. James Harden's missed two games. And, well, their defense has been atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. And they are definitely missing Trevor Reza and Luke Bamute. So, but the Rockets want Carmelo Anthony over him. Why are they so keen to get Carmelo when it's obviously well, turning into a bad Ariza, result? Ariza, Ariza walks for $15 million. Rockets weren't going to pay him $15 million. And I would have really liked to keep Bamute, but... It's all right. The Rockets' defense, like I said, has been atrocious. But Harden and Paul have missed time. And so it's hard. I think it's too early to hit the panic button for the Rockets. And it's probably too early for the Thunder, too. But the Thunder, what is really concerning about, really, you could bring Boston into this, too, is the offense. Oh, I would bring Boston into it. In the league. In offense. You're talking about a team that has Westbrook and Paul George. Those are two of the most explosive players in this league. And while Westbrook is coming back from an injury, so there's definitely still time. And like you said, they got Dennis in there. He's new. He's still meshing. They had a chance. Up 16 against the Boston team, which hasn't been good on offense this whole year. Kyrie Irving is struggling a little bit. You think Kim uh, and Gordon Hayward are both rusty. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that was a great chance for them to get a win and kind of get some momentum rolling. And it's kind of concerning that they collapse like that. Anyway, I'm, that is why I'm more worried about the Thunder, because I believe the Rockets, once healthy, as they've proven under D'Antoni, will figure things out. Okay, Emma, you made an interesting point about things meshing, and I'm going to go back to an example in OKC when things didn't mesh last year mm-hmm. with some guy in Houston right now by the name of Carmelo Anthony. That's part of the reason why I'm more worried about Houston. How are they going to mesh with Melo? Is he going to learn to be an off-the-ball scorer? That's what. That's part of what makes me more more worried about Houston, man. That's fair, and I think it's a very valid concern. But there's already been changes. Melo coming off the bench. He never did that in OKC. He wasn't willing to do that. And then everyone questioned Harden and Chris Paul working together. They're both on-ball guys. They need the ball in their hands. And that worked beautifully. So if there's anyone who can make it work, i got to think it's the Rockets. Okay, I mean... Either way, if if these two teams don't figure it out and they continue to play like this, just pencil Golden State into the finals again. Absolutely. A week ago today, a brawl emerged between the Rockets and the Lakers in L.A. Rumors slew around that Rajon Rondo spit in Paul's face, Chris Paul's face, which led to Paul throwing punches, but Rondo denied the rumors, claiming that Paul was a horrible teammate. Brandon Ingram was suspended four games for starting the shoving match. Rondo got three and Paul got two. Charlie, big deal, little deal, or no deal? So, first of all, 
there was some video evidence that came out where it really looked like Rondo did spit on Chris Paul. And I understand Chris Paul getting angry. I mean, if someone spits on you, that's the ultimate sign of disrespect. And, well, I definitely would not have liked to see Chris Paul, you know, throw punches the way Rondo threw punches too. And uh, I don't think this is a huge deal. It's definitely something to watch, something that's going to be entertaining to watch when these two teams meet again. Especially, you know, Rondo and Paul both at the point guard positions going head-to-head. Oh, that's going to be fun. Overall, I don't think this is a huge deal. And the suspensions weren't too big. I mean, Ingram's was four because he came in from behind and tried to throw a haymaker. But overall, um, I think it's just some beef. It's fun. It's fun for the league. It's fun for everyone to watch. It's going to be entertaining when they meet again. Okay, so I'm going to talk about LeBron James' role in this because he he tried to get... Chris Paul away from the fight and tried to talk to talk him out of it after the game. To Rajon Rondo, Chris Paul is the enemy and LeBron is your teammate. LeBron shouldn't be standing up for the enemy like that in Rajon Rondo's eyes. So I think that's going to light a fire in Rondo's eyes. I think he's going to go off next time they play the Houston Rockets. I think they're going to be great games to watch. Can you imagine if these two met in the playoffs? No, that would be fireworks. That would be amazing. Rondo and Paul going at it for... Probably yeah. probably seven games, because yeah. LeBron is LeBron. Is that these two point guards are both have been, you know, although Chris Paul has probably had a better career, Rondo has been a true, considered one of the better point guards in the league for a long time now. I mean, he's, you see how, you see what he does in the playoffs, you saw how he tore exactly. up Portland last year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I'm a, I really think it's going to be interesting to see how these two teams be in the future, but I haven't said big deal, little deal, or no deal yet. I'm going with Little Deal simply because these two teams will meet multiple times in the future. If it were Chris Paul and Isaiah, not Isaiah Thomas, he's in the West. John Wall, since he's in the East, it wouldn't be much of a deal since the Rockets and Wizards hardly even play each other. I agree. I agree. Little Deal for the reasons you just said. And, uh, I mean, I think it's also, you kind of see this around the league too, although to a lesser extent between... Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond. Joel Embiid saying he has a piece of real estate <laughs> in Andre Drummond's mind. And Drummond saying, oh, then why was he so happy to see me off the court? I think it's just kind of part of the trend that we've been seeing of NBA. Hey, I would like to see Embiid's reaction after Drummond asks, who won the game? Because the Detroit ended up winning that game. They were right. They, yeah, they did. <laughs> and Blake Griffin looked incredible. Yeah, he's looked incredible the whole year. He really has. Well, in all honesty, these are the best players in the world, and they do have to know better. Even Chris Paul. Like Even Chris Paul, exactly. No matter how bad of a teammate you think he is, he doesn't mean you need to throw punches at him. Oh, not at all. So it's week eight, yet there's still no Le'Veon Bell. The franchise tag Steelers running back has not reported, despite claiming he would after Pittsburgh's recent bye week. The Steelers have until Tuesday, October 30th, to trade him. Liam, how do you see this playing out over the next few days? Oh, well, I see little to no action at all because the Pittsburgh Steelers have said they don't want to trade Le'Veon Bell. Uh-huh. And the Philadelphia Eagles, who are in dire need of a running back, is, have expressed interest in not trading him. So I, I don't really see this going anywhere because Le'Veon Bell has proven that he wants money. And at this rate, he's not getting money until next year. So Le'Veon Bell can sit on his couch on Sundays, out of shape and watching football, watching this watching James Conner, his replacement, do well. So I really don't see much happening. 
But did you draft Le'Veon Bell for fantasy? The only real team it hurts is fantasy owners. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I also don't think much is going to happen. Although, I really did think that he would have reported by now. But I guess maybe he is waiting until after that deadline. Uh, which would make sense. But I, I really, with this whole situation, I really don't like it. Because how do you think this Pittsburgh players are going to react? Here's a guy that wasn't willing to go to war with them, you know, for seven weeks here. And you heard it at the beginning of the season, some of the offensive linemen really didn't like his decision. Oh, yeah. Like he wasn't going to get paid. He was going to get paid a lot. Although, on a, you know, with under the franchise tag, but I really don't like the situation in general. And I'm really interested to see how it plays out, assuming he does return to the Steelers see how that chemistry unfolds. Okay, so I said, I think I said a few weeks ago, I saw him reporting by week 10 at the latest. Uh, this said it's not looking like that, but I've also said this multiple times. NFL players make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. How much more do you need? It's not like NFL players are over-the-top poor. They are over-the-top rich in many ways. They get paid tons of money to play a game. How much money do you need, Le'Veon Bell? Get your butt on the field. Your team needs you. They are they are on the fringe, if you ask me. I think you're right. I, I absolutely think you're right. I mean, although, to play the devil's advocate a little bit, you can understand him as a running back, very brutal position. You want understand him wanting a massive long-term deal. But at the end of the day, I still agree with you. I mean, the competitor in you has to be itching to get out there. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Oh, absolutely! I was, I was itching to, I was itching to race this morning. I'm sure you were too. Oh yeah, exactly. exactly. It's a huge. It was a huge meet this morning. Second biggest one of the year. It was. It was. Let's just say two weeks is going to be fun. Yeah, these two weeks are going to be fun. Now, back to NFL. James Conner has played well, but he's just not the same player Bell is. I'll make this last one simple, Charlie. Before we get into our game. 26 NFL teams play a game tomorrow and Monday. Which one of them needs to win the most? Ooh, that's tough. So, uh, I am going to go with Jacksonville. Ooh. They have been horrendous lately. Particularly on defense. Yes, and against the run game, which is surprising because, you know, it looks on paper like a very good front set, but... Two back-to-back beatdowns, and now they're sitting at three and four, <clears throat> looking up at the Texans for the top of the division, which is not something you would have expected at the beginning of the season. Texans start 0-3. Now they're getting a little hot. Jacksonville's trending down. Tennessee's losing. So this division is and still in, up for the Texans. Don't forget Indianapolis is still Indianapolis. Exactly. And if Jacksonville can get a win, that moves them right, keeps them right there in contention. And it's going to be tough because the Eagles are also sitting at 3-4, and four and they really need a win too. But for Jacksonville's confidence and momentum, I don't think they can afford another loss, especially another beatdown loss. Oh, I don't think either of these teams can afford a loss, but uh-huh. neither of them are my pick. My, my pick is going to surprise you. I really think it will. Right. My pick happens to be the one team that does not have a loss this year in the Los Angeles Rams. I don't. Oh, wow. I don't believe they've had a very tough schedule up to this point, and rightfully. I mean, even though they've made it look, rel- I mean, they've made it look relatively easy. They're seven and zero, 
and they've beat down opponent week after week. Jared Goff has been great. Todd Gurley's been great. Their receiving core has been great. They've all been great. But you're about to face Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I would expect it to be a very close game. The, the front seven led by Aaron Donald is going to be in for a tough time trying to get to Aaron Rodgers, who is yeah. a very smart player and knows how to play in big games like this. So I really think the Rams need to win like this. It would be a big statement win, proving they can beat a big team. I mean, they've got games coming up against the Kansas City Chiefs, who are yeah. who ended who have only have one loss to my New England Patriots. Mark that game down on your calendar. That will be fun. That's going to be so much fun. Alrighty, it is time to play in your shoes. Where a revolving right. topic going around lately is given, and we will be placed in the figurative shoes of one of the people heavily involved in this. We'll start with this. If you are Minnesota Timberwolves GM Scott Layden, do you accept the Rockets' offer of four first-round picks for Jimmy Butler? Absolutely. Jimmy Butler is not going to stay. Assuming you do not trade him, he walks in free agency. I don't see a scenario in which they can bring him back. I mean, he's already voiced his displeasure so much and his desire to be traded. I don't, I don't see how you can justify not taking a deal. You get four first-round picks. I mean, that is a core. That could be four starters. I mean, at the very least, you hit on two of those picks. Two of those picks turn out to be very good players. Um, and I just... I think I heard the latest reports that the Timberwolves didn't want that deal. And as a Rockets fan, I think it's a blessing in disguise. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I talked about this a lot with my friends yesterday because living in Houston, they are all Rockets fans. I am the only one in the group that is not a Rockets fan. <laughs> Boston Strong. If I, were, if I were Scott Layden, I would take it without hesitation because the Rockets are trading away their whole future here. I mean, if they end up trading for Jimmy Butler, you have, you have zero, zero commitment as to whether or not he stays this year, after this year. Because he's an impending free agent. He's a disgruntled free agent. He wants to play in a big market, i.e. L.A. or New York City. Or, yeah, one of those two. He has voiced his displeasure, wants to play in a big market. What was Daryl Morey thinking offering that deal? I mean, Daryl Morey's done a great job, but this is a terrible offer. I know you're trying to beat Golden State. That, that juggernaut that just added Boogie Cousins. And they, they're going to be really good when Boogie comes back. But... I really think Daryl Morey should not have even thought about offering that pick or those picks because you because if you trade those picks, you're trading away your entire future to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm -hmm. And also, I think this brings up another problem within the Timberwolves system where Tom Thibodeau is coach and president of basketball operations. And I think I've heard and read that he wants to stay in playoff contention, so he wants Eric Gordon as part of that deal. And, I mean, personally, Eric Gordon's a very good player, but he doesn't oh, have that, that many great years left. I mean, he's not old, but he's not, you know, he's not a first- or second-year player. And so I don't think that is reason enough to, to turn down four draft picks, especially, I mean, for the next couple years, I don't see the Timberwolves beating the Warriors at all. Oh, not at all. And so I believe that Thibodeau is almost inhibiting uh, inhibiting Scott Layden from taking this. And I think that's really uh, bad for the Timberwolves organization. Oh, absolutely. I've thought they should fire Tibbs for a long time, but... I'm right there with you. No, why aren't they doing it? And also, he almost got fired after the Timberwolves thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
That's bizarre. That is bizarre. So bizarre. Especially and considering also, the Bulls didn't work out. Those Timberwolves didn't work out. Exactly. Exactly. But you also think about it in... Uh, if you look at other examples of coaches who have also been president of basketball operations, you got Stan Van Gundy in Detroit. That was a train wreck. You got Doc Rivers with the Clippers. They had a couple good years, but I mean that didn't work out either. I got to think at some point, something needs to change in Minnesota. All right, I'm going to make another point as to why the Rockets should not make this trade and talk about my own Boston Celtics. When the Brooklyn Nets traded all those picks away for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, they traded away Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, the pick that turned into Colin Sexton in Cleveland, for two old veterans who whose prime was behind them. And it was a terrible decision by Brooklyn. I fear, I fear the Rockets are about to take that path. You know, I thought about that too. And um, I think Darren Moore should be asking, is it really worth the entire future? Not at all. Just like the Nets should have asked that. But anyways, next up, if you were Green Bay Packers head coach Mike McCarthy, what do you expect from your team against the undefeated Rams this weekend? A win. I expect a win from the Green Bay Packers this weekend because it is Aaron Rodgers. You have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I've heard people call them the best quarterback in this league. I mean, Tom Brady may be the greatest player of all time, but I've heard people say that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in this league. So Aaron Rodgers has been pretty good in big game situations over the past couple of years. He has one playoff loss against the Atlanta Falcons, who later went on to blow a 28-3 lead. But, <laughs> yeah, let's all talk about that for a while. But I, I expect a win tomorrow because Aaron Rodgers has proven himself to... They've played well over the past couple weeks, and you have to figure L.A. is going to run out of gas at one point. I'm, I expect a win. I agree with you. If I'm Mike McCarthy, I'm thinking, and I'm telling my team, this is a gut check. What are you made of? Uh, I mean, they're sitting at 3-2-1 and one, one right now, which is just pretty good. Uh, but it's not great. But not great. And this is a chance to make... This is would be a huge statement win for Green Bay. They're always good, but there's always questions around them. It's Aaron Rodgers, and there's always, you know, are is the rest of the team going to be good enough? If they can come out and beat a 7-0 team, I think that sends a message to the rest of the league that this year's Packers are for real. And um, if I'm Mike McCarthy, I mean, that's what I would expect. That's what I'd hope for. But it's going to be tough because the Rams are good. I mean, don't forget about Aaron Rodgers' knee issues over the past couple of years. I'd be worried about that, too. That's true. That's true. Well, it is a big, big game. It starts at 325 tomorrow on Fox, and I know I'll be watching it before Game 5 of the World Series. Speaking of the World Series, if you are Dodgers Game 4 starter Rich Hill, you're facing either tying the series or going down 3-1. to What's going in your head before Game tonight? Game 4 tonight? Oof. I think for the Dodgers, it's a must-win. Um, so if I'm Rich Hill, I'm thinking in, and I think for them to be successful, he needs to pitch at least five innings of maximum two-run ball. And so I think for him, he needs to try to really minimize base traffic, cut down on the walks, uh, make them make them get the hits. Because I know that... For the Astros, we gave the Red Sox way too much base traffic, and that led to the Red Sox converting some of those opportunities, and they blew it open. And so I think what he absolutely needs to avoid and what should be going on in his head 
is to eliminate base traffic, you know, and just try to stay in the game as long as possible while keeping them off the board for as long as possible. Uh, I mean, you made a good point about expecting five innings from Rachel. I would expect six innings from Rachel because most, if not all, of their bullpen guys threw at least two innings last night. Jansen threw two innings. Bias threw two innings. Urias threw almost two. And I've heard rumors he won't be pitching tonight because of that shoulder surgery he had. So I would, I want at least six innings from Rachel. It is very important. So if I'm Rachel thinking I need to go six innings tonight, I'm thinking if. I'm thinking attack them early, because they, they often take the first pitch a lot. So I'm thinking attack them early, get ahead in the count, do not leave pitches down the middle, do not give them any free passes, make it as tough on them as possible. That's what's going through my head if I'm chill. I agree. Another thing I think he really needs to be careful about is two-strike pitches, because the Red Sox have been fantastic in two-strike situations this postseason. So he really needs to make sure to focus on those two-strike situations to not hang one over the plate or make a mistake they could capitalize on. Okay, and another thing I'm going to talk about here is Brad Stevens' concept of the law of percentages, and I think it applies to baseball. Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts when it combined 0-15 for 15 last night, as I mentioned earlier in the show. So you would figure they're due to have big games, and also, after Kinsler made that error last night, he has that feeling that, oh, I need to do something big tonight. I feel like He's not starting tonight, but I feel like he's going to have a big pinch it at bat that's going to help them win the game. So I'm I'm approaching Betts carefully. I'm approaching Bogarts carefully. I'm approaching Kinsler carefully. Uh-huh. I think it's a very good point. And also, I'd also add Benintendi to that mix because he was on the bench, yeah, which mean- I thought, which I did not agree with at all. But I, I got to think that him sitting there watching that. Yeah, that must have been tough. Exactly. So that's going to be a big game. Starts at 7 o'clock on Fox, soon after this episode is released. Yeah. Alright, last one. If you were Red Sox manager Alex Cora, who would you start tonight? I guess it's Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, it is Eduardo Rodriguez. So how would you manage your pitchers in, bull- in your bullpen? Alright, so... that, if you all threw six last night. Okay, so, I'm going to say this. I would have started Rodriguez if I was Alex Cora. I, I was going to say Rodriguez, regardless of when, who started, whether... He had chosen Drew Pomeranz or Chris Sale. So, if I'm Alex Cora, I expect at least three innings from Rodriguez. Keep them off the board as if possible. Don't give up more than one run. Pitch well enough to get the team, keep the team in the game. And so then, I would expect two innings out of Joe Kelly. Probably, or because he's a good, he's been great this postseason. Two out of either Barnes or Brazier. Well, one out of Barnes, one out of Brazier. Maybe even go to David Price for an inning in the 8th and give it to Kimbrough in the ninth. I mean, of course this is all reliant on how well the offense does. But I, I think Drew Pomeranz could also be an important, and Heath Embry as well. Because Pomeranz can shut down lefties. I know his ERA was over 6 throughout the season, but he can still come in there and shut down a lefty hitter. And Hembry can shut... Hembry is a hard thrower who can, who can slow down the Dodger righty bats, so... I think it'll be interesting to see how Cora manages it all tonight and how, how big of a leash he'll have on Rodriguez. I agree. Because if the Dodgers pounce on Rodriguez early, you got to think Cora's going to pull him and not let him try to really work and do that. And you brought up uh, Pomerantz. He's a little bit of a wild card. Like you said, he had that inflated ERA during the season. But you did, like you said, he's also, you know, he's good against lefties. 
And um, so I, I'd be interested to see if he throws in Pomerantz for a multi-inning relief stint as Pomerantz's for, you know, starter. So he's very capable of that. No, and I'm also going to say, um, Pomerantz was great in 2017. 17-6, and 6, CRA of 3.3. So we've seen Pomerantz pitch well. He just needs to find it again. Exactly, exactly. So he's a wild card. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean... As long as we win, I don't really care who Cora pitches or doesn't pitch. Okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls. We're on our great achievements in the past in the coming week, and there's a theme to it this time around. Seven years ago tomorrow, October 28th, David Fries and the St. Louis Cardinals completed their World Series comeback over the Texas Rangers, winning the Series 4-3. They were down to their last strike in Game 6 before Heroics won the Series. Six years ago tomorrow as well, the San Francisco Giants finished their sweep of the Detroit Tigers in the World Series, winning their second title in three years. San Francisco's tally was three in five years. Four years ago Monday, October 29th, the Giants won that third title over the Kansas City Royals in Kansas City. Madison Bumgarner was named MVP of that historical season for the Giants. Five years ago t- Tuesday, October 30th, the Red Sox won their most recent World Series, defeating the Cardinals in six games. David Ortiz was named MVP. And the Red Sox brought it home in a season that was truly about much more than baseball. 2013 was, of course, the year the Boston Marathon was bombed. One year ago Thursday, November 1st, the Houston Astros brought their first World Series title home, defeating the Los Angeles Dodgers in seven games. Games two and five of the series could have gone either way, but the Astros won both, propelling the franchise to their first title in a season that was also about much more than just baseball. Houston, of course, was struck by Hurricane Harvey. Okay, the show is almost over, so it's time for Who You Got, where we will spotlight one key matchup happening across all three leagues. We'll start in the MLB, and since we talked about the World Series all day, I'm going to throw a curveball here, Charlie. Who You Got signing free agent outfielder Bryce Harper? This is a tough one. This is a really tough one. So, kind of a scary scenario here. But I think, what if the New York Yankees signed Bryce Harper? Oh, no. Exactly. It's a scary situation. But, you know, historically, stars go to get paid in New York. So I would not be surprised if the Yankees go after and sign Bryce Harper. Now, also, as a little a bit of a dark horse candidate, one way I would really like to see is Bryce Harper to the Milwaukee Brewers. Ooh, that's something to now think you, about. You get Yelich and Harper as a vicious one-two combo. And, and Lorenzo, don't forget Lorenzo Cain. Exactly. And I think that would be a fascinating team with a lot of potential and, you know, a team that I frankly wouldn't want to see in the playoffs. Uh, I wouldn't want to see them either, but the team I have signing him is a team that has been connected to him. And this would be an interesting scenario since they had a good year, but they they fell and fell and fell as the year went on. They got to a great start. I watched the play against the Red Sox a couple times. They looked like a team to be reckoned with, but they fell towards the end of the year. I think Bryce Harper is going to go to the Philadelphia Phillies. They have a great young core featuring Reese Hawkins, Nick Williams, and Scott Kindry. And who better to ha- add as a veteran leader than a former NL MVP in Bryce Harper? That's an interesting situation. And Harper had a bad year, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not that affects how much he is making. Alright, next up in the NBA this coming Thursday, in a playoff rematch, Milwaukee Bucks and the Greek Freak pay a visit to the Boston Celtics and their struggling offense. Who you got winning this game? Alright, so I got a notification a few minutes ago that the Celtics were winning in the first quarter, 30-21 to I think the score was. 
I think the offensive struggles will come to an end by the end of this week. So the game is on Thursday. They'll have some practice time beforehand. I think the Celtics will begin to have their situation figured out. I'm taking the Boston Celtics to beat Milwaukee again. Alright, I think uh, I'm going to go with Milwaukee here. Budenholzer looks like he's done a great job with Milwaukee. They're looking like a very good team. They're undefeated. Exactly. The Greek League is only improving. And, like you said, Boston has struggled offensively. Can they, you said 30-21, can they put it together for four quarters? Can Kyrie Irving start to find his groove? He's shooting 21% from three-point line this year, averaging 16 points, shooting below 70% from the free throw line. That's not Kyrie. Kyrie Irving. That's not the Kyrie Irving we're used to. And I think for this team's offense to really turn around, he's going to have to bring all of that up. Yeah, absolutely. So if he starts to do that this game, won't be surprised if Celtics win. But in the meantime, I've got to go with the Bucks. Either way, it's a good thing it's a long season because Boston's offense <laughs> is struggling. Last one in the NFL, the Minneapolis Miracle rematches tomorrow night on Sunday Night Football between the Saints and the Vikings in Minnesota. Does Minnesota win again? No. Now, I'm definitely biased as a Saints fan, but all biases aside, or as best as I can, the Saints are looking really good. Now, they did get lucky with Justin Tucker missing his first ever PAT. And they did get lucky putting up with Zane Gonzalez. Oh, you're right. That too. But Drew Brees has been spectacular, as always. Michael Thomas has been spectacular, as always. The double-headed running back tandem of Ingram and Kamara is ridiculously dangerous. But we know we, their offense is always good. We know the offense is going to be good. It's going to be about the defense. And the defense has really, after a horrific start to the season, giving up 48 points to Fitzmagic and the Buccaneers, it's progressed week after week. And if they can keep that and hold the Vikings to... Under 25 points, the Saints' offense, I think, will for sure get over 25. And I'm going to pick the Saints. You know what I'm going to say to that? Ditto. Saints are winning. Sweet. We agree on something about the New Orleans Saints for once. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's hard to to be biased against them as a Patriots fan. Brady's better than Breeze. Shout out Cooper Edwards if you're hearing this. Brady is much better than Breeze. Oh, uh... No, I think it's a little bit of a little bit of off topic here, but I think Brady is you could say greater because of the championships, but in pure quarterback skills, I think there's a real argument to be made. Oh, absolutely, Brees. absolutely, well, there's I, an I, argument to be made, but the argument is wrong. I disagree. I disagree. I think they're much closer. They're neck and neck. I mean, they are neck and neck because they're Brady both does so have good. More Super Bowls, so five. Gotta give them that. Gotta give them that. Yeah, you do. Alright, well that's all we have for today, boys and girls. I'm Charlie McGee. I am Liam Griffin. I'd like to thank Charlie for being my guest today and thank you oh for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me directly. Next week, college basketball season is right around the corner, so college basketball expert Trey Huell will be joining me as we discuss what to expect from these Duke Blue Devils and other teams as well. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week.